Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mind Body Greens Beauty Podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Greens Beauty Director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well being. And on today's episode, I have on a very special guest who I'm so excited to chat with and learn more about. Ever since I was introduced to her brand and her skincare philosophy, I just have been dying to chat with her because, you know, I think she has created such a beautiful collection and it really seems that her philosophy aligns very, uh, very much so with my own. Without further ado, I would love to introduce our guest today, a holistic esthetician and founder of Clur, Leslie Thornton. Leslie, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining me today. Like I said, I am really excited to hear your story and learn more about you. Um, so let's let's let myself and the audience get to know you a little bit better. Uh, you know, what what is your background and what was your journey into the beauty industry? So my background is, um, as you said, I'm an esthetician. So I started um, in the beauty industry uh, as a teenager, um, well before I became an esthetician. So um, I've, I've kind of gone through um, different phases. When I began my career, I started actually as a makeup artist. Um, and that was, yep, and that was 20 years ago. And over time, it just evolved into eventually what what has led me to being the founder of Clur. Um, I think the halfway point of my career as, as being a makeup artist, I realized that um, there was some lifestyle choices that I wanted to make and things that I wanted to have in my life that being a makeup artist didn't allow me to have. Um, especially if you're working on set or you're working um, in editorial or commercials, any type of productions really require long days. And as you get older, you start to realize that long days are really, um, they can be very gritty and they can be very daunting. And I wasn't really getting the gratification out of being a makeup artist that I felt like um, was going to be like, it wasn't going to be something I wanted to do when I was 50 years old. So I um, began to um, sort of take all my interests and in, in think about what is it that I can really do um, that would allow me to have a much more flexible lifestyle that allowed me to not be on set so long. Um, and so I started doing mainly weddings at the time started focusing on just doing weddings. And then after doing weddings, I realized, wait, my brides don't have the answers to their skincare. They don't actually, I couldn't answer any question. Anytime someone would say, I, I want to get my skin ready or skin prepped for my wedding. You know, I have a few months. Should I start retinol? Should I start this? Or should I do this? And I didn't have any of the answers. I was just a makeup artist. So I had no clue. So back a long time ago in 2010, I decided that, um, I wanted to become an esthetician so I could get the answers to these questions and help my clients. So um, eventually, I quit my job um, doing makeup completely. I go back to school. I become a licensed therapist. I obtain my licensing. Um, and as soon as I get my licensing, I just jump all in. It was it was exactly everything I wanted. I, it, I had flexibility. I was able to build my own clientele. I opened up my own private practice in 2010, um, focusing on skin care education. And really, um, at the time, I didn't realize the role that an esthetician had beyond just doing facials or your eyebrows or your beauty treatments. Estheticians are like coaches. They are like skin health 
coaches. And um, that's what I kind of became known for. Um, I was the only esthetician in Los Angeles really focusing on using botanical ingredients, unfragranced facial. So meaning that basically I did not use anything with scent on the face. And so um, that, those kind of small things that you don't realize become part of a brand, I didn't realize those were going to become part of a brand I would eventually build. But these were the foundational pillars that um, I built around my, my, my experience, and they kind of became part of uh, the Chlor brand as we know it today. Eventually, I got into product development, and um, I needed to have a few products just for my clients. And um, after a while, I realized my my clients were counting on these products. They were coming back over and over, buying them again and again. And um, they weren't using, you know, their the products that they would buy at Sephora. They'd come to me and rather buy directly from their esthetician that they trusted. So I started working on developing the line as a collection of offerings to my clients. Uh, and around 2013, I launched my very first iteration. Obviously, no one would have seen it. It was just from my customers who'd come in for facials. I had two products. I had like a serum and a cleanser. The cleanser is Gentle Matter. It's actually still in the repertoire now. Um, and that kind of just was the catalyst of, of building Clur. Clearly, there is a, a passion for beauty that extends for many, many years. Um, so I'm curious, and I, I love asking this question, especially of beauty professionals like yourself. Do you have any formative memories that shaped your relationship with beauty in such a way that you you can kind of go back on and look at and say, you know, that that was a moment in which, you know, shaped the rest of my life and led me down this path. I've come to the point in my life now that I know beauty was my calling. I don't think there was I wasn't going to be an architect and I love design. I wasn't going to be an interior designer and I love interior design. You can love many things, but they don't have, they're not going to be your calling. And so I realized beauty is my calling. Um, and this is what I would be doing for the rest of my life. I think when I think back on the moments that really shaped that, um, it, it was probably when I was a kid, I was in pageant, beauty pageants. My mom used to me in those pageants so that I, you know, would build my self-confidence. I could be in front of people. I could walk into a room and feel like a confident kid. And in that time, you know, in those pageants, there were a lot of grown women wearing lots of makeup and, um, you know, dressing up and, you know, fancy dresses and things like that. And, you know, I, I wore pantyhose regularly, like as a kid, like stockings were just like a normal thing. You know, I didn't know what it was like to not have stockings on. So it was, um, it was definitely the beauty pageants. Like I think being um, like in these local community beauty pageants, it, it just was the catalyst to my love for beauty. And I think it was just ingrained in me so early that there isn't e like even a moment as an adult that I knew it was for me. I think it was just a path that was meant to be. Yeah. And I love the point that you said about, you know, it was something that, you know, you're utilizing to gain self-confidence and stuff like that. Because I do think that beauty is such a tool for people to find self-confidence or find self-reassurance in themselves. So it's interesting that even, you know, you were able to make that connection um, even so young and, you know, you were able to draw that through line. That's really fascinating to me. Which kind of brings me into my next question. Uh, what is your beauty philosophy? Personally, I take a holistic approach. It's definitely based in science. Um, I don't have like 
a made up philosophy in the sense. I, I really love to, to take these ideas and um, back them up with some science. So I guess it's a little bit more forward thinking. Um, there is that, there is the, the sort of green beauty philosophies that sometimes make no sense because there's nothing to really support it. And then there are personal philosophies that make no sense to me, but I like it. So I try to like merge the two by basing everything in some type of grounding every grounding these things in some type of science. So I say a holistic approach grounded in science. Um, it's definitely forward thinking. Um, I believe that beauty can be so much more than just a product. I think it really lies in our daily routines. I think the things that make us feel beautiful or are look the most beautiful are the things that make us feel good. Um, when we align our lifestyles with holistic protocols, um, I think we, we are our best selves. And I view the skin as an organ. A lot of people just think it's this physical facade, but it's not. It is actually an exterior organ that um, is on the outside of the body. And it's a communicator. It's connected to billions of cells and nerves, and it becomes an extension of our whole health. So a lot of the symptoms that show up on our skin or on our body are directly correlated to our health. So um, whether it be early symptoms of diabetes or thyroid disease or things like that, you have to actually be able to understand that your skin is a great communicator. Um, so my goal is not just to put out beautiful products into the world, but it's really to guide our community into a new way of thinking about beauty. Beauty really has the power to, to shape our entire well-being and um, the potential to reset our mind-body connection. Yeah. See, I, I knew that your beauty philosophy would align so well with, you know, what we believe here. Um, everything that I've read about you, I was like, gosh, that that's exactly how how we think about this stuff. Um, you know, at, at the top of your answer, you did mention, you know, gravitating towards uh, more natural um, products, but rooted in science, grounded in science. And, you know, you mentioned that when you became an esthetician, you were the only person in LA who was kind of doing uh, this sort of skincare practice within your facials. So, you know, I'm curious, what was it about the more like clean, natural, holistic approach that resonated with you, especially at a time where, you know, it's not, it wasn't necessarily what it is today. You know, I feel like clean is kind of this, this thing that everybody wants to kind of gravitate towards or they want to use in marketing, but you were doing it before then. Well, here's the thing. Clean is a definitely like the new way of saying natural. And so we don't, we, so we don't have to like, um, make those claims. It's like, it's all natural or it's somewhat natural. For me, I center on plants. I center on botanicals. And so that's why Clara is botanical care for optimal skin health. We are centered on plants. Do we use synthetics? Absolutely. Um, as an esthetician, when I was going to trade shows and um, out in the professional aesthetics world, I realized you had to either be one or the other. You had to be this clinical brand with um, really high performance ingredients that people realize well, hey, if nothing else works, go to that one because it's guaranteed to work. And then in the sort of natural, earthy, granola-y brands back in the day were just, um, they were unsupported and they didn't have um, the science behind them. And so I always felt like you really had, anytime an esthetician had a skincare line on the market, and there's not many, there's only like a few estheticians with, of all the brands in the world, if you can imagine, there's only just a handful of estheticians with skincare brands on the market. So um, you had to be one or the other. You had to be a clinical brand. You had to be an, or a natural brand. The, the harmony of the world that we live in now is merging the two together. 
I think that is absolutely the beauty of being in 2023 is that all these things work can work in harmony. I can go to my regular doctor and go get my testing done. And then I can take that to my functional medicine doctor who's going to give me a different read on those numbers, right? And so I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's a bit of both. I think what, when you asked what made me gravitate to that was it was my clients. It was I needed I needed to support my clients and um, needs. My clients wanted things that were good for them. It was just the bottom line was I needed to support their needs, but I also knew that in order for me to get to a um, result that they wanted, I still needed certain type of ingredients like a salicylic acid or a glycolic acid. But how could we source those ingredients um, in a more sustainable way while prioritizing botanical ingredients. So I don't think it was like a one, it just was the, I didn't have to pick one or the other. I could be both. And I realized that there were no esthetician brands out in the market that did that. You're so right. There are not many brands that are led and founded by estheticians, which is such a shame because I, it really is like, I think estheticians are the backbone of the skincare industry. I think that they are, you know, you, you made the analogy uh, earlier ahead that they're coaches. Um, and they're people who are like guiding you on your journey. And, you know, I think so often about like the fitness or the nutrition industries where, you know, people have trainers or they have, you know, dietitians or coaches. Um, and our version of that in the skincare world are estheticians. These are the people who, you know, you should be seen regularly. These are the people who are there to like be your coaches, be your best confidants. They're, I, I really do. I think they're, they're it's such the backbone of our, of our whole industry. So it is such a shame that there's not more. <laughs> God, and, and I tell people this, you don't know a single law firm that's not founded by a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't I know that. You don't know. You don't know. But every brand is founded by someone other than an esthetician. And I think there are probably, like I said, a, there might be five brands on the actual on the mainstream market. So like that you could maybe find in a Sephora or a Credo or a major retailer outside of the salon market. It's probably five esthetician brands. Crazy. I want to know what was your first foray into a product formulation? You mentioned that you had two that were, you know, more for your clients. What was that journey like? I mean, at what point did you decide to make that leap? Because it is a scary leap and it's also a really, really hard one. Like formulating products is really hard. <laughs> Back in the day when I was actually going to esthetician school, part of our schooling was um, we would take these um, field trips, I guess you'd say, like the instructor was so awesome. She's like, listen, you guys need to get to know this beauty world and you need to make connections. So we're going to do some um, trade shows. Let's go to trade shows. I went to a, like one or two trade shows and my whole world opened up. I'd never been to a beauty, a professional beauty trade show. So this is like a spa trade show meets um, aesthetics, meets um, e uh equipment. So where you'd buy a microdermabrasion machine, or maybe you'd go to buy a red LED light. You know, a lot of this is 13 years ago. And that doesn't seem like that long ago, but beauty was drastically different 13, 14 years ago. It really was. So light stim had just hit the market. I think the first time I went to a trade show, I'd just seen light stim for the very first time. The hydrofacial machine had just literally launched the first trade show I'd ever went to. So now those things seem like they've been around for a long time. Those companies had just begun. So luckily I was going to these trade shows. I made a lot of connections. And what I realized during my treatments when I was, I had, I had already built a pretty decent clientele. 
I was sending them all over the place to buy things. Going here, go there to Sephora to get this product, go to Rite Aid and get this product, go to this natural market and go get this jojoba oil, go to you know Whole Foods and it's in the back. You can get this. I realized it was a mess. I was sending my clients all over the place and I realized I really couldn't give them um, the guidance because I couldn't go with them. So it was kind of, it was making my facial treatments harder because I couldn't give them the proper supportive care. And, you know, it's like, it, it, it's like seeing a trainer going to the gym, working out, and then they just let you be on your food. Like you, you, there's, you, you're going to have to figure out what your client is eating because they're going to come back and you're like, why aren't you making, you know, making progress? Why aren't we seeing a difference? Well, because my clients were going home and still using a really harsh scrub or whatever, over exfoliating or using whatever, whenever. And so at that point, I realized at minimum, I need to offer my clients a proper cleanser at minimum. So I went to my trade show resources. I went through the old books and boxes, stacks with cards and papers and flyers from trade shows. And I found a laboratory. And that is how I I got into it. I found a laboratory. I reached out to a laboratory and I started talking to them. They actually remembered me from talking to them at booths, at the trade show booth. And so I I made my first, very first product. And then um, I made a second product about a year later. And that was like a serum or something. It's not around any anymore, but it was a serum. Um, I was obsessed with tea tree oil at the time because there was so much good research supporting it being a better um, ingredient than benzoyl peroxide or performing equally to benzoyl peroxide. So it was like a tea tree based formula. And so that's kind of how I got into um, actually creating the products. I love that your first was a cleanser because I am a firm believer that cleansers are the unsung hero of our beauty routines and people do not respect the cleanser enough. I've seen everything in a cleanser that you can imagine and it's just, it's not, I don't think people understand. Cleansing happens about 14 times a week. It's the thing you use the most. If you wear makeup, you cleanse in the morning and you cleanse at night. If um, Some people do. I don't cleanse in the morning, but a lot of people do. And that's fair enough that that suits your skin. But cleansers are the unsung hero. They are the backbone to any routine. They're the foundational part of a healthy skin uh, microbiome. So I went for the cleanser because I realized not only did um, this product really support my client's needs, but if I could at minimum, take that out of the way for them. They didn't have to go all over the place looking for a good cleanser. I had clients going through different cleansers all the time. So I just needed that to just be a stable product. I'm like, listen, if I can just get you one stable product and you're not trying a million things, let's just get you a cleanser. So yes, it was a cleanser. It's still in the, it's still in the the regimen. It's still in the, um, our offerings now it's called gentle matter. So at that point, you know, my goal with every formula um, is really to create the best and most consistent product experience possible. I really have no interest in like the latest or greatest ingredients or trend ingredients. So we're not jumping on any bandwagons. So that was kind of like, you know, I think when I started talking about cleansing being this um, foundational part, it was it wasn't a trend. It wasn't like it it wasn't even popular to talk about it. It was just more like just use anything. Oh, oh, cleanser. You don't, you rarely use it. Just, just on and off. Like I, I heard that so many times, like you, it just goes on your skin and goes right off and you, the cleanser, don't worry about it. Just make sure you have a retinol. What good is a retinol? What a compromised barrier. I, I still hear that advice <laughs> and I still hear it to this day. And it drives me crazy because, you know, it is such a critical part of your stuff and you can do so much damage with a bad cleanser. 
which kind of brings me into the next thing I want to chat with you about are skincare basics. Uh, the very first skincare basic is cleanser. So I, I want to chat with you about like what makes a good cleansing routine or cleansing step. Like what do you need to be looking for and what do you need to be doing? And like, when are the signs that perhaps you're doing something not so great? So I think um, a cleanser is going to be fairly immediate if you're going to know if it's agreeable with your skin or not. Like it's not one of those things that um, that it's going to take a long time that you have to keep using. Two to three uses. If it's the cleanser for your skin, you'll know it. And if it's not, it will leave your skin either dehydrated, it will leave your skin tight, it will leave your skin um, feeling uncomfortable. A good cleanser should make your skin feel comfortable, especially um, gel cleansers are very hard to formulate. And that's actually what we've done so well with uh, um, Gentle Matter. Um, it's a really comforting gel cleanser. Starts off as a gel, but it performs like a cream on the skin. So um, I, I'm not a big fan of cream cleansers. They feel like you're washing your face with lotion. So I, I, I knew a lot of people who didn't like the feel of Cetaphil or CeraVe, the, those types of gel cleansers. So we really went for a real gel cleanser, but we re, we used a lot of nourishing ingredients like jojoba oil, like olive, like dandelion to reinforce the skin barrier through cleansing. Um, Cleansing can also be a hydrating step as well. So if you cleanse your skin and you leave enough water on the surface and it's not stripping away all the oils on the skin, you can literally just go in with a moisturizer and be done at night and, and without a hydrator. Because if you have um, enough residual water left on the surface of the skin and you get your oil or your moisturizer on the skin right after, you can totally bind that hydration into the skin. A lot of people believe that a tight cleanser means it worked. Or an, ir an irritating cleanser means it's doing something. If it's not suited for your skin and it didn't uh, leave your skin feeling comfortable and placid, it's not the cleanser for you. It's not helping your skin. And I think that, um, you know, a variation of gels, creams, balms, and oils all work to cleanse the skin. So regardless of the outcome of the product that's used, the outcome really should be the, the same. It's um, proper cleansing translates to healthier skin. Yeah. You know, I, a part of me always thinks that the beauty industry really like shot itself in the foot with the phrase like beauty is pain or like all this sort of stuff, because people do equate that feeling that like tight, uncomfortable feeling with, Oh, I'm clean. And it's like, Oh no, <laughs> your skin should feel happy. <laughs> your skin should feel, I, I say your skin should feel calm and placid. And if you didn't follow up with anything, if you give it 10 minutes and you don't follow up with anything, it should still feel calm, placid, and, and not tight. So if you have to rush to put on a cream or have to rush to put on a moisturizer right after, probably the wrong cleanser. Okay. So you know, we've gone through cleanser. Cleanser is basic step number one. So important. It is not given enough respect. I just want to give you a general rule of thumb that your cleanser should balance your skin bacteria and your microbiome. It should balance um, your natural pHs and it um, should work to actually prevent dryness and irritation. So those are your three tips for cleanser. Okay. I love it. I can get behind every single one of those tips. So after you, you know, you get your cleansing steps done, what are your other skincare basics? Um, you know, you, you have a ton of really beautiful serums and treatment steps in your routine, you know, so what are some of your favorite treatment type steps and ingredients? 
So in the morning treatment step, I always promote antioxidants. I am a big proponent of using antioxidants during the morning, uh, followed by a sunscreen. At night, my treatment step is always going to be something to repair, help repair and rejuvenate the skin. And so that can be something like a CoQ10 um, treatment. That can be a retinol. That can be something um, with an acid in it, as long as it is literally working on to repair and rejuvenate the skin. And then the daytime should be antioxidants, that hydration and antioxidants. Um, so essentially protecting the skin, hydrating the skin. I like to do something like symmetry fluid. And our, our collection is symmetry fluid, which is a combination of all three. It hydrates, protects, and nourishes the skin. It also creates sort of like a, a protective layer. Think of it as a, an environmental protective layer over the skin. I, I personally like to say it's like a, pulling a pair of stockings over the face putting a barrier between your skin and the world. Sunscreen, of course, um, in the morning, followed by that protector or hydrator and protector. Um, I do believe in sunscreen. A lot of people do not in the green, green, clean world. They don't believe in sunscreen. I absolutely do believe that we should be wearing some protection uh, at a minimum of 30 SPF. Um, I would love to see everyone using a clean sunscreen, but I don't think we're quite there yet that um, it's completely an inclusive um, uh, genre. Of products yet. So I tell people wear the sunscreen that you'll wear, use the sunscreen that you will use, uh, whatever works for you in that, in, in that regard, because I have tested out so many sunscreens. I mean, so many, and they're just still quite white casty, the zinc, the titanium dioxide, the minerals, it's very hard. So um, maybe even a tinted sunscreen could be even um, more. I like to go tinted because uh, a lot of the minerals and, and mineral makeup protect the skin as well from UV, uh, not just from UV, I'm sorry, from blue light. So minerals um, are great as well in the skin. Yeah. I think that is such, such great advice that the best sunscreen is the sunscreen that you'll wear. I mean, it's it, it, because, you know, one thing that I think as a beauty editor, I know, and, you know, yourself as an esthetician in the beauty world, you probably know this very well to be true is the biggest issue with sunscreen is just getting people to do it every day. Um, people just it, it's it's hard to get people know that it's good for their skin. They know that it's anti-aging. They know that it's protective. But like, God, if they don't like the look or feel of it. You're not going to wear it. You're never going to wear it. And so the, the, the product that suits you as far as sunscreen is the one that you will actually use. Um, I don't think, I don't argue with people about sunscreen. I don't even get into conversations. I'm like, listen, if you have found one that you like, stick with it. Does it work for you? Great. Use it. I love that advice. Oh my God. I'm going to steal that if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> we, don't, we don't argue about sunscreen. <laughs> Do you wear it? Great. Awesome. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned antioxidants and that you definitely prioritize antioxidants, um, especially, you know, as your treatment set in the day. I too love to talk about antioxidants. So I want to ask, what are some of your favorite antioxidants? Oh, okay. So I, I go through my phases. In the summertime, it's raspberry seed oil. All year long, I love green tea. I actually love um, turmeric as well as a strong antioxidant for the skin. And um, I love uh, vitamin C. I love vitamin C derivatives, actually. Um, we don't use any ascorbic acid, L-ascorbic acid at all in chlorus. So we only use derivatives. So right now, my love is THD, which is called tech tetrahexadoascorbate. It is an oil-soluble form of vitamin C, so it can actually go through the lipid water barrier on the skin. 
I absolutely find it a beautiful form of vitamin C because it's so skin friendly and it's great for sensitive skin as well. Um, and it goes into it can actually go into an oil based formulation, and that's that's what we're using in one of our facial oils. So that those are some of my favorites. So I think I know why maybe you avoid L-ascorbic acid, but I, I want to hear it from you. Why do you prioritize derivatives over vitamin C? So ascorbic acid must be um, utilized at a certain pH, somewhere between 3.0 and a 3.3. So you cannot um, add other ingredients, say, for instance, like a retinol. Well, retinol is much better at a neutral pH. So you can't utilize other ingredients that are pH dependent with that vitamin C. So that form of vitamin C will dictate the entire formulation's pH. Um, essentially, how can you say that you are making the best product possible if you have all these um, barriers between the formulation and the ingredients? So we completely avoided. Also, it's not that barrier friendly because um, the low pH, it is highly acidic. And so if you are integrating other acids into your routine and you're using a vitamin C, we can see that a, a lot of times our customers and our clients would have compromised skin barrier because they were using um, ascorbic acid during the day and using glycolic acid at night. And the skin just becomes much too acidic. So our skin our skin, our human skin, likes to sit right in the middle. Um, it's it's best suited at a neutral pH, which is the same pH as water. So um, that's what we actually formulate our serums at, are just a neutral pH. We find that water seems to be agreeable with 99.9% .9 of the population. And so we use um, sodium ascorbophosphate, tetrahexadoascorbate, and other types of vitamin C derivatives that are much more skin-friendly and formulation-friendly. They allow us to build more robust formulations without the pH dependency. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that people get so hung up on using, you know, ascorbic acid or using a vitamin C with like a crazy high concentration. And I, I think that maybe they don't realize the ramifications of, of you know, using those. It, it's also the moment you open it is starting to go bad. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's, totally. the, that's, that's the truth, you know? So, I mean, over the past 10 years, there's been so many innovations in technology and the developments of really sophisticated um, ingredients. And uh, uh, vitamin C is one of them. Ascorbic acid is well known. It's been around for a long time. So I think that's just what's the commonly known form of vitamin C. But um, like I said, over the last 10 years, there have been probably, I think, close to 10 new types of vitamin C that have hit the market. And so scorboglucoside, sodium ascorbophosphate, tetrahexadoscorbate, some of them work better than others. Some of them you can't even compare to ascorbic acid, um, but all, all of them are bioavailable. All of them have their benefits and some of them brighten better than others. Um, but, you know, I think people just get stuck on and hung up on one type of thing because it's been in the zeitgeist for so long. But Derivatives are non-irritating. They're incredibly stable. They're significantly um, they, they they reduce the oxidation process. They don't degrade rapidly when they're exposed to air, so you can have them in a jar or in a cream. And actually, they double as really potent anti-inflammatories, and so they're less aggressive. Whereas ascorbic acid is actually pro-inflammatory. It is because of its pH. It is pro-inflammatory. So we can get the brightening effects. We get the anti-aging effects, but we also get some um, irritation. And, and so thus we get some uh, inflammation. So when someone says, oh, I'm using ascorbic acid, but I'm peeling or it turns me red. Well, that is an inflammatory response. So we don't want that. And um, so we steer away from it. And, and it actually just 
a unique advantage, really a unique advantage is, is we don't have those formulation restrictions. They're completely non-existent, which means we can actually say we're making some of the best formulas because we don't have to um, really deal with these disadvantages. For sure. No, I, you're spot on. You mentioned CoQ10, and I just want to quickly follow up on that one. What do you like about this ingredient? I don't like it. I love it. <laughs> I don't like it. I absolutely love it. Coenzyme Q10 is the only enzyme and antioxidant that your skin makes. Yeah. So you must be replenishing what comes out of the skin naturally. It is a bioavailable ingredient that comes out of the skin. It starts to decline around 12 years old. I mean, we have the highest amount. Yeah, sorry. We have the highest amount when we're around 12 and it starts to decline around 25. So we only have it for a short time. So we really, we need to be um, replenishing coenzyme Q10. It is an enzyme that comes out of our skin. Um, so our skin has its own antioxidants and that's, that's something we should all know. So those are three things. The skin makes vitamin E. It's found on the surface of the skin, uh, squalene and coenzyme Q10. These are our own inherent antioxidants. This is why we don't age tomorrow. I like to say that like, that's why we don't age very quickly. We have our own antioxidants, but the environment, age, time, diet, all these things break down those antioxidants. So we need to be replenishing our own antioxidants, those exact ones, mimicking those antioxidants, bringing them back into the skin so that um, not only does our skin metabolize them, but it recognizes them and can utilize the ingredients very quickly. Well, you just sold me. I already knew I liked the ingredient, but <laughs> everything you just said was, um, I mean, it just makes so much sense. We have to use science. We have to be grounded in science because the only way that we can educate other people is by giving them actual facts. Yes. I Listen, you, you have a fan of me already. <laughs> okay. I want to quickly talk about how you talk about fragrances within beauty products and, you know, how, how you talk about them with your own line. I have read that, you know, you think that it can be both experiential and functional. Do I have that correct? And can you explain this more about what you mean by that? Because I, I, I think this is really fascinating and I'm, I'm curious to hear more about you know, what, what you mean by this. Well, I do believe that scent has a role in our life. It's part of our senses. So to, to say that we make um, skincare completely scentless um, and has no role at all, that would be ridiculous. Scent in innately connects us to the earth and our experiences and our surroundings. The moment you walk out the door, you can smell the scent of, you know, whatever pine trees, if you happen to be in the mountains. This morning I made granola and it was maple and cinnamon and my house smelled like maple and cinnamon. So um, this scent has the ability to have a physiological, physiological response. It can stimulate us, it can calm us, it can repel us, it can attract us. I think that beauty companies, need to, even skincare companies need to understand that scent is actually quite important. What we don't do at Clare is we don't use any scent in our facial collection at all. It really um, can only work to serve to... Not only sometimes it can irritate many people who are sensitive, so it does not make for very inclusive formulas. It makes it difficult for sensitive people to use our products. So we remove them out of our facial care. We only use them in our body care. And so um, if it's a shower gel that has no scent, I don't want it. Just plain and simple. I don't want a bar of soap that doesn't smell like anything, but I, I would love my facial cleanser to not have any scent. And this came directly from my experience as an esthetician. Um, I was doing facials, as I said earlier today, without any scent. It became very boring. And what I realized, there were two customers that walked through the door of a spa. 
either there was the customer who was looking for that grounding experience, that spa-like treatment, or they were looking for that clinical facial. And I had to figure out how to merge the two. So I created one product that was a decolletage oil that was for the chest, neck, and arms. I didn't put any scent on the face. I didn't bother to put any scent on the face. And so when it came to formulating our products, I took that same philosophy. I don't waste any time on how the product for the face smells. They're all fairly aroma neutral. You're not going to get any um, real experiential moment out of a chlorofacial product with the exception of our mask, which just happened to turn out and smell really good, but there was literally no nothing in it to make it smell amazing. But our body care does focus on scent. It is a tool for grounding. I do think that aromatherapy is, um, our scent is our oldest of, of all our scents. It's actually one of the very first senses that we develop. So I think that um, whether it be herbs, flowers, spices, botanicals, aromatics, they all have these beautiful um place in our, our uh, daily routines. They can help us de-stress, de decompress, cope with anxiety. Um, they bring us back to you know good memories, things like that. So I think they have wonderful and useful benefits. They can be highly functional, especially when it comes to decompression and stress care. I personally am a big fan of Neroli. I love lavender. Me too. Which one? Neroli. Oh my gosh, it's my favorite fragrance <laughs> or note. It's actually one of the best notes to help to lower our blood pressure. It can help with anxiety. It can help with stress. It's antibacterial. So a little tiny bit of neroli can be great in a bar soap if you're scrubbing your body and you want a, a natural antibacterial um, anti, um, bar soap, things like that. So they do have real life uses. I don't use any type of perfume at all. So we focus on just using essential oils. Um, we don't overly use them or over abuse them. So they're not in every single thing. And that actually quite is, it's it's a move for, for to be more sustainable as well, because it's not necessary to put any essential oils in our facial cleanser. We just really don't need it. But I love them for inhaling, for bathing, for using all over the body. I do think that scent plays an, an incredible role in our life. And I think that in the beauty industry, again, it's the one or the other. Are you are you with scent? Or are you against scent? Do you use scent or you don't use scent? Are you natural? Or are you not natural? It's 2023. We can actually you know, build brands and integrate these principles, these holistic principles into a brand. And it can actually be a bit of all those things. Yeah. I think you're so right because I am somebody like I have sensitive skin, right? And so I am somebody who like is very much like needs my stuff to be fragrance free, like for face anyway. But I have such a love and a passion for fragrance. I think it's an art form. You know, I just like, I really appreciate people who have good noses and are able to craft gorgeous, you know, uh, gorgeously scented products. And I even like struggle with integrating it in my own life because I want, I love fragrance and I want to be able to use fragrance. So it is a balance. You're so, so right. And I just, you know, your point of view on what you're talking about with that, it just, it really sparked something because I was like, oh, wow, like we can't have both. We just need to figure out the right, right way to do it. We have to figure out the right balance. I mean, when you think of scent, I mean, Cleopatra used scent, you know, so it's like it's actually a quite 
a human experience to love scent. You know, a, a baby loves its mother's milk, the scent of its mother. It no, they know the scent of a mother's milk, right? And so we can't overlook that. Um, but I do think that it has a place. I don't think it needs to be on your face every single day. I do think that the wrong fragrance and the wrong essential oils can be abused in skincare. And I do see it often. I see it often. So we don't, we don't do any of that in our facial care. But with our body range, a bar soap that we're working on now um, merges the best of both worlds. It's an exfoliating bar soap, but it has an invigorating scent. Um, we, ha- I really, like I said, when I get in the shower, I want scent. I want an experience. Yeah, for sure. You know, you you mentioned keeping the products eco friendly, um, especially as it related to um, using essential oils. Um, and one thing that I did want to talk to you about is creating products uh, that are as eco friendly as possible. And I am somebody who is like deeply into the world of sustainable beauty, and I come at it with a point of view that like this is really hard. It's actually really challenging to make something sustainable. And you have to make a lot of hard decisions along the way. And I'm just curious about, you know, like how you approach creating something that, um, you know, is, is better for the planet because it, it's a challenge and it requires tough choices. For us, I, Luckily, started the brand a while ago. It's it's been a long time. So um, when I went to go do things, <clears throat> I didn't have to really backtrack. The sustainability aspect was built into the framework of the brand. So it wasn't necessarily one of those things that um, I saw the sustainability uh, trend coming when people were really suddenly concerned about the planet. It was just um, actually the first laboratory that I worked with. That was the way that they built everything. That's how they did everything. And so I kind of picked up on their laboratories, um, passion and love for the planet. And this is how they, you know, this is what they, this is how they built their entire company. So when I was working with this laboratory, it just happened to be that I was working with a laboratory who was really focused on sustainability back in 2012. Um, and this is where the the framework for me, because I didn't, I didn't know what it was like to build a sustainable brand, but luckily I was, I actually had a mentor, you know, I, I had my chemist in the laboratory was the mentor um, and really guiding me in, through that. But, um, you know, it, when we look at the difference between like kind of green and all natural and sustainable and blah, 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 these are all terms. These are all terms. They can be quite confusing. There's not any like anything that's definitive or universal about these words. Um, so I don't like try to be labeled one or the other. I don't care if you label us green, 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 la, 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 organic. I don't care. We are just doing the best that we can. We try to provide full transparency and education around our formulation philosophy. We try to do the best we can as far as our sourcing. Um, everything that we've done has been um, from the United States, done in the United States. We try not to source anything from any other place um, possible. I think our tops, our pump tops come from China and that, that's about it. So um, I think the the main thing is at the end of the day, you may not be able to build in a sustainable framework and you have to backtrack and that's hard. That's very hard to go back and change things. But you know, if you're starting a new brand, um, you can build a sustainable framework from the very beginning. And I was lucky to be able to come in at, in, in the world at the time where things were shifting. You know, I think people at that time, I felt like people were just on the kick of getting rid of their plastic water bottles and going for like metal water bottles or going looking for new types of water bottles. So I realized 
plastic bottles were something I couldn't use because my clients didn't even want to drink out of plastic. So I, I just said, okay, well, my clients aren't even wanting to use plastic water bottles. I really don't want to contribute to the plastic problem. So I will probably work with these lightweight glass products. But, you know, sustainability can can be integrated in all these different um, aspects of your brand. For us, we we um, we even use we've used some food food waste byproduct, which is d- directly um, and that's we direct we actually source those two. We don't use it anymore. It was a, a project that we worked on, but um, those ingredients have to be purified. They have to go through a process, ensuring that there's no um, issue with a traceable like bacteria or anything and stuff like that. So, like you said, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot that we can do still even better. I think the main thing is that sustainability has to merge with innovation, and that is where we're kind of at. Is like how can we continue to do this, but uh, one of the main things we will always do is we're not driven by ingredient trends. We're not, and we don't care about exotic or rare botanical stories. We're not trying, we don't even use real, you know, these stories to sell our products at all. That types of, that, those types of things contribute to over harvesting of ingredients and they can have an, an immense impact on biodiversity. So um, one of the things I think that will always be what we do is just, we just make products. We don't care. No one talks about dandelion and we don't care. And that's one of our main ingredients, right? It's never, it's not a popular ingredient. You don't see it in cosmetics, but it's been one of the key ingredients to our cleanser. And so um, it's really one of those things that I'm, I couldn't care less what is going on in the mainstream because that then if we were, we would be contributing to those, um, uh, to that production, trying to ramp that production up of those ingredients. We have really great face-to-face partners with um, relationships with our partners um, who have the same values and that tra- traceable, easily traceable, sustainable supply chains. So I don't. I think it's an ever-evolving. Um, it is an ever-evolving endeavor to try to be as sustainable as possible. But also, we don't have to sustain. We're not just actually trying to sustain. We're trying to do better. So some, you know, along the lines, you want to be changing things up and continuing to um, grow. I don't think that um, there's a right or wrong way to do it. I think that's a great answer. And I think what you said about removing yourself from kind of the the like the trend aspect in the terms of you always have to keep up with whatever's happening on Instagram or TikTok. Because I, I do think that that is one of the main contributors to to the beauty industry um, not being as sustainable as possible is, is the fact that we're always chasing something new. And that is antithetical to the nature of like sustainability. And, you know, it's it's a challenge. And, I mean, you imagine the amount of waste that it goes. Remember when everyone was doing the charcoal mask? Yes. Where are they now? You know, so it's like, that sounds great. Awesome. But if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We're just focused on what works and what will last. And that's all I care about. Right. So I don't, um, you're never really, if anything, it's going to be an ingredient that became a trend that we've been using for a long time. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the ideal world, right? I, you know, I do think Kyoku 10 is going to have like, I think it's, I mean, I think people are starting to understand Kyoku 10 a little bit better. And certainly it's starting to become more of the beauty zeitgeist, but I have a feeling that I think that that's Isn't it so be- funny how, I mean, something like matcha is more important, more popular, more important to the beauty trend world right now than Kyoku 10. Kyoku 10 is a bio, it's a bio available ingredient. It comes out of your skin. How could that be more important than matcha? Totally. Like, I mean, how is matcha more important than something that's bioavailable? It's, it's weird. It's like people people laugh at me when I'm like, vitamin E, you need to put vitamin E. It's, what is that going to do? Well, you ask your skin. It already makes it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
love that. Oh my God. I, you have said like four things already that I'm stealing. <laughs> so I'm wearing like ask your skin. It's been using it for the last, you know, 25 years. <laughs> I love it. Okay. The last section that I ask my guests is about how you take care of yourself. Um, I always like to start off with your beauty routine. Uh, so, you know, what is your core part of your beauty rituals? So for my skin, I do use Clur. I use a few other products. I love um, Mara cleansing oil. It's one of my favorite cleansing oils. It's a great cleansing oil. Um, for my hair, I love making products. That's so like one thing I cannot get enough of is I I'm the DIY hair queen. Nothing works. Just just out, just putting out there, I'm never selling anything for hair. Nothing ever works, but I'm always the DIY fail for hair products. <laughs> I whip up anything and everything for my hair. I love making stuff for my hair. I'm a big fan of rosemary in my hair. Mm, sure. Makeup. Um, I am using Merit right now. Mm. I love their, um, their this, they have like a foundation stick. It's phenomenal. That's been amazing. Um, and then for lashes, um, I use anything. I don't care where it's from. I, I literally, I do not care. If it, it could be clean beauty. It can be out of the trash can. I don't care. I, I just literally just, <laughs> I, I've never found a mascara that I completely fell in love with. I used the L'Oreal mascara for years. I probably will go back to it. And for brow, I use Anastasia. Ah, the classic. But yeah, it's still nothing better. Yeah, it's just it's good brow products really is okay and then the last is how you take care of yourself as a whole so what are your well-being must-haves oh my must-have is i must cook every day something i must cook something every day i cannot find i literally am in the kitchen making something every single day and i've noticed that it just brings such a um a fullness to my life so Today, I made granola. Today, I made, I know it sounds like nothing, but I actually made like a crispy, yummy cinnamon granola, like from scratch. So I did the maple syrup. I did a little bit of vanilla extract. I did the coconut oil. I put it in the oven for 20 minutes. Like I said, my house smelled like maple syrup and cinnamon all morning. It was. It smelled like I was baking a pie. So I love cooking. I love making myself a really wonderful, hearty meal. I think lunch, I'm going to make some lentils. Um, I, for my mental health, um, I don't know what I've been doing for my mental health lately. And I think I feel like I, I need to work on that actually, to be honest. I, I, I really do. I think for my mental health, um, I've, I've picked up a lot of books that I need to um, read that I, I would like to just sit down and take some time and do nothing. I, get, I think that's the best thing I've done for my mental health is actually do nothing. And in a sense that I've, I've tried not to let anything overwhelm me. Um, and for my movement, I go to the gym and I walk 20 to 30 minutes and that's it. Well, I think everything you just said was, I, I loved it all. <laughs> like I said, I've already, I've already mentally stole like four of the things that <laughs> you said in this, uh, in this interview. So thank you so, so much for joining me today. This was so fun, so informative. And I am so glad we got to connect. I was spot on in knowing that you would be like the perfect mind buddy green. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For more beauty content from the team at MindBuddyGreen, you can always read along with our content at mindbuddygreen.com, follow us on social media, and of course, tune into next week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you ever want to reach out with questions or insights 
or thoughts, you can find me on Instagram at Alex underscore Blair underscore. Thanks so much for your time.